This election, Chicago voters are casting a ballot on much more than the president of the United States. Some of the races we will be voting on include the Cook County State's attorney, over 60 judges, our water reclamation district commissioners, and changes to our taxes. With all these races, candidates, and issues, casting an informed ballot can seem like a challenge. But Chicago Votes, a nonpartisan organization, is here to provide you with information on the candidates and issues on the ballot. Their 2020 voter guide is available digitally at chicagovotes.com and chicagoreader.com. Pull it up on your laptop, take it with you into the voting booth on your phone, and feel confident in knowing who and what you are voting for. Chicago Votes. Ben, I changed my uh, setup around. You notice that? You see that? I got this new wall back here. There's another part of my apartment you can see now. I changed. Yeah, what happened to the I turned it around. That's over there on the other side. Usually I just have a big giant blanket, you know, as a little backdrop. But got my little brick wall here. Over oh. your right shoulder, there's oh. a painting. Yeah, that's Alton. That's Alton, those are the bluffs in Alton, Illinois. Okay, anyway. They have bluffs in Alton, Illinois? It's right by the Mississippi River, that. man. Yeah. I, you know what? Going to have to take a road trip <laughs> on the road. Hey, this podcast is sponsored by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150 are sponsors, as well as our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. All right, Frank, we have no song of the day today. I was having some issues with YouTube. I think I got it all figured out here. It says we're live. Uh, ben, just pick a song, sing it, and let's start the show, huh? Um, uh, well, why don't I finish singing the song I just sang? Hold on, let me tune up my guitar. Oh, yeah. That's a new sound effect in the Ben Jarofsky catalog. Man, this little song that Gene, 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 uh, picked up from Willie Nelson on the road again. Wee! Kind of a Johnny Cash flavor into that song. Sure, that's what it was. That's what it was. The Ben Jarofsky show starts now. It is Thursday, October 22nd, and live from my apartment in his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's the return of In These Times writer, Miles Kampf Lassen. And now your host... Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Sam Elliott Thursday. And here's why. Sam Elliott made a commercial for Joe Biden. They played it on the World Series just the other day. Explanation for all people who don't watch movies. Sam Elliott is a movie star, an actor. He specializes in cowboys. Got that real gravelly voice, a deep gravelly voice. You probably saw him in The Big Lebowski. Here's my imitation of Sam Elliott and the Big Lebowski. All right. The dude will abide. <laughs> Not bad, so actually. I'm, Not bad. <laughs> so I'm in a bunch of movies. Dennis's favorite, Roadhouse, one of the great movies of the, was it the 80s? Yeah. Roadhouse? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Patrick Swayze. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't think you knew that, but it actually is an awesome movie. I saw Roadhouse. That's the one where there was a fight. Yeah. And uh, uh, there's like 20 fights. 
And it's like five guys take on Patrick Swayze and he beats them all up. Uh, that was the way. I think uh, Sam Elliott got in the middle of that fight. Anyway, he's a quintessential cowboy looking dude. Uh, and uh, I mean, he, when you put a cowboy hat on him, that is like, oh, that's a cowboy. And as such, you figure he, w- he would lean MAGA because, you know, all the stereotype folks as well as I do. Cowboys and cops are for MAGA unless they're black. Then it gets confusing because you have to ask yourself, particularly in the case of police, how could two people, one black, one white, go through the same training, live through the same job experience, deal with the same situations, and one ends up MAGA and the other one's for Biden? Help me out, people. Speaking of which, this is something I've been meaning to do for a while. These are great stories, uh, a tangent within a tangent, uh, in the uh, New York Times honoring people who died of the virus. And there was one for Fred Dean. Dennis, you may remember Fred Dean. Fred Dean was, he played for the 49ers in the 80s. That's a little before your time. Anyway, uh, Fred Dean died the other day uh, of COVID-related symptoms. He was 68 years old, relentless pass rusher who ignited a 49ers dynasty. And uh, I just love this bit. Just check this folks out. After two losing seasons with a new head coach and an unproven young quarterback named Joe Montana, the San Francisco 49ers in 1981 had a modest 3-2 record and were getting ready to face the Dallas Cowboys, who had beaten them in every game for almost a decade. But something about the 49ers had changed. They had acquired defensive end Fred Dean. In the first half of that Cowboys game, Dean pursued the Dallas quarterback Danny White relentlessly. On one play, he flipped 360 degrees over an offensive lineman and route to a sack. During halftime in the locker room, Dean pulled out a pack of cools and started started smoking. The entire team just stared at him. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry, man. Just that image of this big football player at halftime. Uh, give me my cools. Tough guy, Fred Dean. Went through a lot of struggles. Uh, after retiring from football, Dean suffered financial setbacks and developed medical issues, including diabetes. To pay his bills, he had to sell his Super Bowl rings. But his life stabilized after he obtained a master's in theology from the United Theological Seminary and Bible College in Monroe, Louisiana. He became a pastor of New Nature Ministries Church in Ruston. Passed on. He had this uh, thoughts in his uh, Hall of Fame speech, quote, why he loved football. You get used to getting down in the dirt, getting your clothes dirty and wallowing a little bit. I said to myself, I like the dirt. Anyway, Fred Dean uh, died at age 68. I'm glad he found his purpose late in life. Love that enduring image of him smoking the cools at halftime. Just another uh, example of how much we've lost uh, from this uh, COVID virus. It's easy to make fun of it. It's easy to uh, ignore it. Uh, MAGA pretends it doesn't exist. But every day, there are stories like that. The New York Times is filled with them every day. They have about uh, three obituaries uh, dedicated to people uh, who've died of COVID. So this is just sort of the backdrop to this whole Sam Elliott commercial uh he did the commercial for biden as i said they played it on the world series just the other day we're going to play it later in the show not right now uh because i'm going to give you my rendition right now <clears throat> hold on drink some water good water ah, it's delicious god dang they make good water in the city of chicago anyway there's soaring music in the background and the visuals of America, all these scenes of, of America, quintessential American shots. 
And then you hear Elliot espousing what brings us together. It's not mega America. It's not Biden America. It's America. And we need a guy who can bring us together. Joe Biden. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> good. Not a bad imitation. That was awesome. Okay. Way to go, man. <laughs> Joe Biden. Right, the first take he did, Joey B. No, I didn't do that. That's something cut, I would do. Cut, cut. Anyway. Call him Joe Biden. What are you doing, Sam? <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Whoa, not bad. Anyway, not surprisingly, the reaction to the commercial has fallen into two camps. People of liberal persuasion are sobbing, weeping. <laughs> They're like, yes. This is the voice we need to bring us together. It's like Sam Elliott himself has come back in the person of Barack Obama. Remember Barack Obama's quintessential speech? 2004 was the year. Young Dennis was watching it in Alton, Illinois. It was at the Democratic Convention in Philadelphia. <laughs> there's no blue states. There's no red states. My Obama imitated. I got to work in that. What's the, what's the key again, D? Uh, buttercup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, talk really fast. Talk slow, then fast. There's no uh, red states. There's, there's no, no uh, red states. There's no blue states. There's no blue states. Just the United States. <laughs> oh, wow. Let's vote for this guy. Let's elect him senator. Let's elect him president. Well, in contrast to Sam Elliott's speech and Sam Elliott's commercial, MAGA is outraged. And D, I went on MAGA Twitter. Yep. I went where no lefty dares to go. I was like, what's MAGA up to? MAGA Twitter. Sample reaction is beep this guy, or I thought he was cool, but he's just another beep Hollywood liberal, beep phony. And this one from Dana Loesch, I got to read this one. More like scam, Elliot. <laughs> yeah, scam, Elliot. That's good. Uh, scam, Smelliot. She's the uh, National Rifle Association spokesperson. I don't know if she's still affiliated with them, but she's really right wing, loves MAGA, loves Donnie Trump. Uh, and here's her reaction. Sam Elliott voicing a political ad doesn't change that the candidate's crack addled son left his laptop and signed receipt that was turned over to the FBI and confirms years of Joe Biden's peddling influence as VP. Actually, I'd like to hear Sam Elliott narrate that. Hurumph! There you go. There's a sympathetic view uh, towards someone's his crack-addled son. Oh, MAGA, big heart. That would be an interesting thing to hear Sam Elliott narrate. Oh, Hunter Biden left left his laptop. I don't know about that laptop story, folks. We haven't talked about that one, D. No, we haven't. You know, we follow this one. This one is an intriguing one. Like, ah, guys, look, MAGA, I love a good conspiracy theory is the next person. But the notion that like Hunter took his computer into some computer store somewhere and just left it there, you know, just like, oh, I forgot because I'm crack addled, I guess. Ah, mm, mm, little dubious. Come on, MAGA. You can do better than that. How about a scheme? MAGA, follow me on this one. Just, just let's see what I do. Where the government is controlled by a diabolical cabal. Of pedophiles. How about that, MAGA? Yeah! <laughs> Unfortunately, MAGA believes that, too. MAGA pretty much believe anything you tell them. But they don't believe Sam Elliott. Meanwhile, death toll, as I said, from COVID continues. The official position of MAGA is, so what? People dying from COVID are old. You're going to die anyway. I leave it up to the Lord. I'll put it in his hands. 
Ever notice how no MAGA person who gets COVID actually leaves it up to the Lord? Yeah, the Lord in a hospital, or in the case of Donnie Trump, like around-the-clock care by a squadron of doctors and nurses and the best steroids money can buy. Yeah, that in the Lord. Folks, when this election is over, it's not like all these divisions are just magically going away. Even if Biden wins, we're in this for the long haul. We got a great show today, everybody. Miles Conflesson, as Dr. D said, will be here from In These Times. He's got a lot to say about the election, tonight's debate. He will be dutifully watching it. I, on the other hand, have pledged to watch uh, Borat. That's what I'm going to do tonight, D. I'm going to watch Borat. I am uh, going to watch it. I have to be prepared for it tomorrow because we're doing this, having a conversation discussion uh, with uh, Sergio Mims. We're dropping that for the weekend. And uh, so I'll probably watch the debate on replay in the morning. <laughs> Dennis will wake me up at some ungodly hour, like 10 o'clock. Hey, wake up! And I'll have to watch the debate then. Yeah, usually uh, as your producer, I don't know, maybe I should try and talk you out of watching Borat and watching the debate tonight. <laughs> but good Lord, these things have been ugly. Yeah, you know, and uh, I'll probably end up watching both the... Oh, God, I'm a sucker and a sap. It'll be two in the morning. I'll be watching the, the replay of the debate. And Looking for some of the text. Usually during the debate, I text people. I've texted Dennis, Candace. Oh, I could see. I mean, it's just like everybody. I'm like, hey, are you watching? Are you watching this? Getting people's reaction. At two in the morning, who's up? I'll be texting Dennis. I'll be <laughs> dreaming of Alton. <laughs> the Mississippi River. <laughs> Sam Elliott. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Uh, I got a feeling you don't dream of Alton when you're uh, dreaming. Dreaming of old Sam Elliott movie. You have any favorite Sam Elliott movies, D? Um, I mean, I just kind of remember The Big Lebowski. That's it, really. Uh, Roadhouse. But you wouldn't recognize him. He looks like a hippie in Roadhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Patrick Swayze Patrick just Swayze dominated movie. in Roadhouse. You know what I mean? <laughs> Total <laughs> domination. Literally. Like, these guys come in. There's like five of them. They're behemoths. And Patrick Swayze just looks at him like, all right, let's go. Bring it on. Have you ever noticed how like a fight scene when one guy is beating up five guys? The f- like the four other guys give him a moment to beat up the one dude. And yeah. then they, it's one at a time. They don't rush him at once. Like the guy just happened to stumble upon the five worst fighters in the world. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but they're behemoths. And they like look really ugly and they're snarly. Mm-hmm. Probably all for Biden too. Oh, we're Hollywood liberals, really. We're just playing this role. Anyway, good big fan of Sam Alley. I love the commercial. We'll play later when no Miles is on the show. But before we do that, the young man from home, the man they call Dr. Doobie with the news. Hey there, Dennis here. Let's find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. Illinois Governor JB Pritzker. Today the governor is downstate. And apparently he was hanging out on the highway. He was on I-255 at 11 a.m. to announce the early completion of the I-255 rehabilitation project. He's now at the St. Clair County Health Department in Belleville, Illinois, preparing for his daily COVID-19 press briefing. Face coverings. (laughs) Now, Governor, since you're downstate... Well, first off, since you're downstate, I don't know, maybe don't look out the window as you travel. Going to see a few signs in people's yards you may not like. Just block that out, all right? But hey, 
Since you're downstate, you should hit up my guy, Slow Johnny, at the Alton Town Club and order a pork steak for the road. They're delicious, man. Go check them out. Mmm, getting hungry, D. Pork steaks. <laughs> a quick look at Pritzker's uh, press briefing on Wednesday. Uh, remember, they're back to being daily updates again. The governor did lay out a game plan on distributing a vaccine once it becomes available. For example, will a successful vaccine require one or two doses? And how far apart must those doses be administered? Will the vaccines require cold storage or can they be stored at room temperature? If vaccines are distributed in large case containers, how will those cases be split up in smaller numbers for delivery to small healthcare facilities throughout the state? So the most defining characteristic of this plan is that it's adjustable as we go forward and learn more. Wow. We're not even there yet. We already had problems with the vaccine. Just hurry up and make the vaccine. Yeah, I guess Pritzker has to look far ahead, D. But uh, yeah, I, I didn't even thought that far. How, right. Like, how It's like a, a year off at best. And he's already worried about how we're divvying it. Well, he gotta, you know, he's got a daily briefings. So might as well talk about the vaccine that won't be here for another year or so. Well, hey, he's getting a game plan ready, I guess. Uh, we also learned that four of the state's 11 regions for monitoring the coronavirus pandemic are under mitigation measures because of increasing COVID-19 caseloads. In each of those regions, indoor service at bars and restaurants is forbidden, and those establishments must close by 11 p.m. Also, crowds in those regions are limited to 25 or fewer people. The governor has gotten some flack over this. So with him at the press briefing, a dozen studies all underscoring that bars and restaurants are, in fact, a major spreading location for the virus. But apparently a dozen studies is not enough for the Illinois Restaur uh, Restaurant Association. Sam Toya, president and CEO of the Illinois Restaurant Association, put out a statement today pushing back at the governor's latest mitigation rules. Here's the statement. The Illinois Restaurant Association cannot support the COVID-19 mitigation plan presented by Governor Pritzker's office that ceases dine-in operations at restaurants across the state of Illinois. Moving backwards in this manner spells complete devastation for the restaurant industry. The extreme measures outlined by the governor's team will result in the permanent closure of countless restaurants statewide, eliminating thousands of jobs and desolating communities inhabited by millions of residents. We do not agree with the order to completely eliminate dine-in operations. The IRA, Illinois Restaurant Association, wants to work with the governor's office on a pragmatic mitigation plan that supports the health and safety of our state without jeopardizing the livelihoods of the people and businesses that serve as the cornerstone of our communities. Earlier curfews and reduced occupancy levels are two examples of more reasonable measures. I'll stop there, Ben, your thoughts. Well, this is... Uh... This is dangerous stuff, and um, I'm, I'm very sympathetic uh, to uh, owners and operators of restaurants. I go to restaurants all the time, uh, and uh, so I, I realize what the uh, pandemic is doing to them. But on the other hand, don't we want to uh, minimize the outbreak? Uh, isn't it pretty obvious? We're going to get into this. I know, dear. I know where you're going with this, uh, that putting people in restaurants and at bars uh, helps spread the virus. I think absolutely everybody would agree on that. 
but maybe they're going to dredge up some studies that under undercuts that. I'll say this once. I'll probably say it three times in this show. I would appreciate if Sam Toya and the uh, Restaurant Association would join forces uh, with people throughout the country of a more leftist persuasion to urge the Senate and the president uh, to come up with a stimulus plan. I don't know how restaurants can get through uh, this devastating pandemic without aid from Washington. So the notion that you can open up restaurants and make up the business that they're losing and keep those people employed and keep uh, those uh, restaurateurs uh, in operation, even on a minimal basis, I think even Sam Toya would say you just can't completely open it up. We saw what happened in Wisconsin when they did that with the bars. So the notion that they could uh, stay afloat in the pandemic is ridiculous and absurd. There's got to be help from Washington. And yet so many associations, so many business associations are reluctant to take that stand because they don't want to upset the MAGA portion of their membership, particularly the downstate portions. Uh, Dennis was joking a little while ago. When you go downstate, you see all the Pritzker suck signs. We're going to get into more of that. It's like a split in this state. And uh, it's just this adverse reaction to any kind of what? Sane social distancing policies. And so I would be more appreciative uh, of Sam Toya and uh, his restaurant industry members if they would like join forces. In fact, I knew Sam Toya back in the day. He was a little liberal like. I remember when he was starting out, he was, um, I interviewed him a couple times for the reader. So I don't know what happened to that, Sam Toya, but I wish they would just join forces. You know, the Sam L.A. commercial, it's uh, not MAGA America, it's not Biden America, it's just America. How about joining forces to help people? Instead of saying, well, the way we'll just open up things and we'll go back to business, we'll save these jobs. You know that's not going to happen, Sam. You know you're not just going to magically figure out a way to stop the spread of the virus so restaurants could stay open and people could stay employed. Come on, Sam. But hey, Sam Toya, get in line. There's more than you who has beef with Pritzker right now. Shout out to Rich Miller, the meanest Illinois political bulldog in the yard. He's got more updates here. Uh, Darren Bailey, he's back. Yes, Representative Darren Bailey filed a petition of indirect civil contempt this morning against Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker in Sangamon County Circuit Court. Yeah, yeah, that's... By the way, I'm going back to Sam Toya. Uh, Rich Miller was the one. we got to give Rich Miller credit for this. He's the one who uh, broke the Sam Toya story. I uh, mean, it's the uh, bulldog in the yard, as Dennis likes to say. And he takes uh, Sam Toya to task for citing uh, statistics that have come from the far right. So you can't just make this stuff up. You, know, you have to have some grounding in reality. I urge everybody to check out Rich Miller's column on this one because he, he doesn't hold back. And if you want some kind of like, if you, if you want legitimacy in, in this debate, you have to like deal in a real world. Darren Bailey does not deal in the real world. Darren Bailey, our favorite uh, Republican in the state of Illinois, wink, wink, state representative, uh, now soon to be a state senator. He's moving up the ranks. Uh, and we predict in the show uh, that he will be the Republican nominee for governor one of these days. He sort of represents where the Republican Party is right now. And it's really difficult for the Republican Party to like bridge these differences within themselves. You know, a, an extremist like Darren Bailey who says, we don't need masks. Remember that? 
Darren Bailey didn't even want to wear a mask at the General Assembly meeting. Uh, Michael Madigan kicked him out of the meeting, came back with a mask grudgingly. Uh, so Darren Bailey says, we don't need masks. We don't need social distancing. Uh, J.B. Britsker is a tyrant. He's got this judge, Darren Bailey, his pal down in uh, Clay County, who's ruled in his favor. He's got a lawyer who's willing to file cases up and down the state of Illinois. So good business for him. Uh, but so far, he hasn't had much success when he goes higher outside of Clay County. You know, because so far, Illinois is governed by the notion so far that we do need some kinds of protections. We have to protect ourselves from the virus until that vaccine magically emerges. Lord knows when that'll be. So, uh, yeah, Darren Bailey uh, is at it again. And obviously, uh, he is a receptive audience. I started uh, earlier in the show. So I guess the theme today, uh, D, is how divided we are as a country. And uh, you can see it right here in the state of Illinois, Lake County, Cook County. You know, it's funny, man. I'm thinking about Sam Toya. He's a, uh, an ally of Lori Lightfoot. And uh, he's on the zoning board, I want to say. What, a zoning board? I forget. He's, on, he's some kind of a mayoral appointee. And it, harder on Pritzker than he is. This is what I always point out, folks. It's like Louis Lightfoot gets a pass compared to J.B. Pritzker because the city of Chicago is all aboard Louis Lightfoot. The city of Chicago is very blue. And everywhere I go, I see people with masks. You know, there's no re- great resistance in, in the city of Chicago. Uh, to uh, Lori Lightfoot's proclamations. We make fun of her on our show all the time for uh, she gets a little uh, zealous. We have fun with that. But by and large, people, they love it when she gets tough. I don't hear any restaurant people complaining about Lori Lightfoot. It's just a different mentality. But the Restaurant Association sees that MAGA downstate is uh, resistant. So all of a sudden, they're worried about J.B. Pritzker's rules and regulations. So it's silent in the city. Isn't that interesting how that goes, Steve? Pick and choose. Who you got to pick on? Well, there are no Lori Lightfoot sucks signs, but there are Pritzker sucks signs. Oh, duh. I'll go after Pritzker. Oh, that. (laughs) You know. And by the way, where's the Illinois Restaurant Association on the fair tax? It's going to cost money. If you want to protect the jobs and industries, and businesses, they're getting clobbered because of the, the virus. It's going to take money. State's going to have huge bills. It's going to have to. How are we going to pay those bills? Fair tax would raise the rates on the wealthiest people. It needs every person in the state to join it because the odds against it are overwhelming. The richest people in the state are opposed to it. They want to protect their pocketbooks. And so they've unleashed a, a propaganda campaign just making stuff up as they go along. If you're really looking out for restaurants like in Alton or Springfield or Clay County that are hurt by uh, the pandemic, the need to close restaurants, protect people, the fact that people are reluctant to go to the restaurants in the first place, you might, you're, you're going to need some assistance from government. But no. I'm here the restaurant association speaking up for the fair tax or demanding that Donald Trump help out with uh, the stimulus bill. Donald Trump pretends like the stimulus bill doesn't exist. Just runs around the country making fun of people who wear masks. So I don't know. You know, you would think that the, it would be, as Sam Elliott said, one America. But more and more, it's 
two Americas. That's so obvious. Oh, let, let's hear that Sam uh, Elliott impression saying two Americas. <laughs> well, he, he goes, it's not Mag America. It's not Biden America. It's just America. Oh. And we need a man who can bring us together. That's why I'm endorsing Joe Biden. <laughs> you like the Joe Biden. <laughs> Shout out to Frank on the live stream chat. Frank says, boy, Darren Bailey must be rich to afford all these legal costs. Do you think Darren Bailey's rich? Yeah. Uh, Danny Monopolis at WBEZ did a great story about how Darren Bailey uh, was getting the federal assistance. Forget how much. You got to check that out. I want to say it was about a million dollars, but don't quote me, anyone. Oh, okay. uh, Dan Monopolis wrote that story. I give a shout out to young Dan for WBEZ. So, yeah, DB's got some money. Oh, yeah, he's got money. DB, (laughs) he tells how to play the game. Let me tell you how to play the game, son. Thank you for the the content, Mr. Darren Bailey. Boy, you've helped out the Ben Jarofsky show this summer. I tell you what. Remember when Darren Bailey came to Chicago? Yeah. One of my favorite moments. Darren Bailey came. It was before. I want to say it was like April, I want to say. And they had that little rally. at. uh, Yeah, yeah. uh, where was the rally? It was in the it was in the loop somewhere. Anyway, um, Darren Bailey said, "I love Chicago, but sometimes Chicago is like a wayward child, and you have to punish him or keep him alive." I'm like, I had this image of Darren Bailey spanking Chicago was. You're out of line. Spank, spank. Now, where's this Thank deep you, dish Daddy pizza? Darren? Where's this deep dish pizza y'all are talking about? <laughs> Yeah, DB came to town to a rally, spanked a bunch of Chicagoans, had some pizza, went home and filed a lawsuit. Huh, just another busy day in the life of Darren Bailey. I was not impressed. Moving on here uh, to the news in the city of Chicago. Hey, how about that 2021 budget address? And over the course of this very tough year, we have been on the ropes and the referee has started the 10 count a couple oh, yeah. of times. But like Barney Ross, the 1930s fighter who grew up in the Maxwell Street neighborhood. We have gotten back up, legs stronger, steely focus, and resolve to fight on. (laughs) I love the Barney Ross. I will never get tired of the Barney Ross reference. Kudos to whoever dug up Barney Ross in the mayor's speech writing department. If you haven't yet, you really should download our interview with 15th Ward Alderman Ray Lopez. He broke down the budget address with Ben, and I got to say, whether you agree with this guy or not, you have to admit, Ray Lopez really does fit in well with our program. He held nothing back and gave his honest opinion, and we appreciate that. It's available right now at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. But the Ben Jarofsky Show budget coverage continues this afternoon. The Chicago Progressive Caucus put out a Sun-Times editorial piece. It's titled, What Chicagoans Need from the 2021 Budget. They laid out their ideas, and we're going to read them. But first, Ben Jarofsky. I have the clock ready. The pressure is on. Oh, no. Can you name all members of the Progressive Caucus in 30 seconds or less? I'm looking at the clock no. now. Go. Uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa. One. Uh, Sue Sedlowski Garza. Uh, Felix Cordona from the 31st Ward. Um, uh, Matt Martin of, of the uh, 47th Ward. Uh, Scotty Wagesback. I think young Scott is still in that group. Uh, Scotty Wagesback. Uh, Sophia King. 
uh, Dennis Sheeter, okay. uh, Maria Haddon. Uh, <laughs> just threw that in. Time's up. On. Time's up. One of those I, names I was nine. me. I had nine. I'm not bad. Nine. Uh, Rodney Sawyer is ten. I forgot. How could I forget Rodney uh, from the Sixth Ward? Pride and joy, the Sixth Ward. Uh, Michael Rodriguez. Uh, uh, from the twenty second ward, uh, Byron Sixer Lopez from the twenty fifth ward. T, I'm really strong. Oh, your boy Andre Vasquez uh, from the fortieth ward, the rapping alderman. He, when Dennis and he get together, they do rap songs together. Oh, it's never happened. Uh, <laughs> um, Rosanna, your alderman woman, Rosanna uh, Rodriguez uh, from the thirty third ward. I've lost count. Uh, uh, so I probably forgot one or two. Sorry, man. It's all those that reefer I had this morning when I woke up. Yeah, I lost track. But did you say La Spada? No, Danny. How could I <laughs> forgot you, Danny La Spada for the first ward? The pride and joy of the first ward, young Daniel La Spada. All right. Nice job on that, Ben. And yes, still a nerd. All right. Wait, can I just say one thing about Ray Lopez? I, I have to give a shout out to Raylo. Came on the show. And what we did, and this, this by the way, I, may have been Dennis's finest moment of the year. He was going to let this one slip by, but I cannot let this slip by. That, you know, this is, when we do the bonus interviews, he's kind of quiet. You know, you don't, he's sometimes he's probably doing his push-ups or his sit-ups. My laundry, um, washing the laundry, dishes. I made dinner dishes. one time during one of these interviews. <laughs> Smoking reefer, whatever, whatever he does. Okay. And, um, so interview, the way we set up the Raylo interview, if you haven't heard it is we have clips from Lori Lightfoot's speech. And Dennis had assembled these clips. There's seven of them, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and he plays a clip, and then Raylo and I riff on it. Uh, and I gotta tell you folks, total improv. This is where I appreciate Raylo, because we didn't tell him what the clips were. We just played it, and he riffed. And he did a good job, in my humble opinion, presenting his point of view. You may not agree with his point of view, but he did a good job of it. Anyway, so we're riffing along, uh, and then we come to the, we've done like six, I wanna say. And so we come to the end, and Dennis goes, well, there's one more clip that we have and that's it. And we're like, okay. And so I think I'm expecting a clip about TIFFs where the mayor makes some reference to TIFFs. So I'm getting ready for TIFF. What is that devilish Dr. D do? Oh, we like that D? The devilish Dr. D <laughs> do? Whoa, good. a lot of oh, D's in that oh, sentence. Oh, wow. It's called Alliteration Radio School 101. And uh, what does he do? Instead of playing the clip of Lori Lightfoot talking about tiffs, he plays our, one of our favorite clips of Raylo going, I want an answer. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit is what I think. <laughs> Yeah, you got to give Ray Low credit, man. He has a sense of humor. He was like I said, he fits in. He fits in on the Ben Jarofsky show, whether you agree with him or not. He gets yeah, it. Nah. He's in. Uh, yeah. Great guest. Uh, he's a great guest. I urge everybody to check it out. Uh, he breaks down. He asks uh, Raymond Lopez, and I, we talk about this with Dave Glowatz all the time. Uh, very surprising transformation. Raymond Lopez, I remember when he came into the uh, city council, he was very much an ally of Rahm. He was cautious about speaking out. He was afraid to break away from the mayor. But as time has gone on, he's uh, he's found his footing. And he's, I can't believe this, but he has emerged as the most, like the Scott Wagaspak type of this City Council. Now, for out-of-town viewers, you know, should, uh, listeners, Scott Wagsback, uh, for years and years, was like one of the lone voices who would 
question the mayor's budget, question the assumptions that the mayor puts out uh, and demand like a deeper dive, uh, point out the inconsistencies. Now, Scott is still an alderman, but he's now the finance chair, so he doesn't have that watchdog role. Raymond Lopez from the 15th Ward has adopted that role. And when I listen to Raymond Lopez talk, it brings back memories of Scott Wagsback interviews from back in the days of the parking meter deal and uh, the early years of ROM. So whether you like him or not, Raymond Lopez uh, is a great guest on our show, number one. And number two uh, is uh, serving a, a very useful purpose as a watchdog in the Chicago City Council D. Oh, by the way, I have to say one other thing. Yeah. We talked at great length uh, yesterday about uh, how um, uh, Mayor Lightfoot wanted to minimize the tax end of the budget. Remember that, day We had a clip where she says, it's just $56 yeah. on the, you know, the property taxes. She kept saying it over again. It's not that big a deal, okay? I've really minimized it. She went out of her way to minimize it. I talked about that with Raylo. Yeah, got a little like home shopping networky there for a minute. Fifty six dollars. That's right, just sixty five. Fifty six dollars. Yes, I know. And with those savings, you could go to Kmart. Is there still a Kmart? And get yourself a lamp. I don't know why I thought of that. Anyway, Tribune. She set it all up. Minimized the tax blow. And what does the Tribune headline read? The Tax hike laden budget plan laid out by Mayor. Wow. <laughs> oh, that Tribune. Tribune, it's only $56. Didn't you hear the speech? It's only $56, Tribune. Oh, well, what are you going to do, D? All right. So once again, the Chicago Progressive Caucus put out a Sun-Times editorial piece. It's titled, What Chicagoans Need from the 2021 Budget. I'm going to read this here and Ben, weigh in with your thoughts here. All right. It begins by saying, this is a pivotal moment for our city and our people. More than 77,000 Chicagoans are experiencing homelessness. Without work, renters are hopelessly behind on their monthly payments and fighting off evictions. Meanwhile, homeowners are struggling to pay mortgages and fighting foreclosures. Nearly 3,000 Chicagoans, disproportionately Black and Latinx, have died from COVID-19, leaving their families with unspeakable loss and stagnant medical debt. Food pantry use has more than doubled this year as unemployed parents struggle to pay for meals for their families. This is no time for small plans. As we head into negotiations for the city's 2021 budget, we are prepared to put big plans on the table. These include, and they have uh, five big plans laid out here. We're going to go through them. Uh, the first is reimagining public safety. Chicago spends more per capita on policing and policemen misconduct settlements than any other U.S. city, even as violence continues to plague our neighborhoods. We support calls to reprioritize resources to invest instead in community resources like quality mental health care centers, housing, violence prevention, and civilian oversight of the police. Safety is having a roof over your head, access to quality health professionals, and a restorative approach to inter-community conflict. Yeah, well, this will be a fight. Uh, and they're talking about uh, shuffling money around. So in other words, taking money from the police department and putting it in other areas of the city. So for instance, you would have more mental health services. This will be a fight. I think Dennis said there's 14 members of the Progressive Caucus. Uh, there, there are 50 aldermen all total in the city council to pass her budget. Um, Mayor Lori Lightfoot needs 25, that's it, 25 votes. 
and she would be if it's 25 25 she would be the the deciding vote so let's say just to be fair 26 so she doesn't have to cast her uh, vote uh, i do not believe this is just me reading the tea leaves. I do not believe uh, there is majority of aldermen in the city council who would sign on uh, to a measure that would take money from the police department. And Raylo is see now Raylo comes at this stuff from a conservative viewpoint, very much a strong proponent of the police and um, uh, police and, and fortifying the police department. Uh, he was pointing out the cuts. Uh, that the mayor's budget calls in the police department in terms of not filling vacancies, job vacancies. So I, this is a very important uh, issue alive in the city of Chicago. But as I've said to Carlos Ramirez Rosa many times, we've had debates on this subject when he comes on, on the show. I don't believe the, the majority of voters in the city are with them on this one. And uh, Pete C uh, Cunningham, who was on the show the other day with me, uh, was disagreeing, was showing a poll. What was it? I think the mayor's old survey, something like 40% wanted a reshuffling of uh, resources. But once that... Uh, the counter campaign emerges and uh, aldermen start getting up and talking about public safety and how their neighborhoods want cops. Uh, and then there's crime stories that are um, broadcast uh, in the papers and on the news, et cetera, and so forth. I just think you'll see a retreat uh, on this particular front, particularly now we're in the pandemic. I mean, during the pandemic, we need more than ever uh, an increase in spending on mental health services. Everybody's losing their freaking minds. I mean, I'm not saying I defend this stuff. I'm just saying what's the political reality in the Chicago City Council, D? And I, I don't see uh, enough aldermen uh, joining uh, the progressives on this. I, I don't even know if all these progressives will uh, end up voting for this. Uh, so I I can see this will be a center date a debate, a central debate in the budget matter uh, showdown. But I think ultimately there will not be significant cuts in the police budget. Other progressive caucus plans include treatment, not trauma. Uh, create and invest in a public citywide 24-hour crisis response and care system that would send trained social workers, not armed police officers, to respond to people experiencing a mental health crisis or housing insecurity. Protecting workers is one of the plans, as well as a progressive revenue. They say we reject any attempt to raise revenue through regressive measures. Measures such as a property tax hike and increasing fines and fees for ticketing, towing, or garbage should be re-examined in favor of more progressive options. Options the city can enact without state approval include a progressive real estate transfer tax, payment in lieu of taxes, agreement with major universities and hospitals, and aggressively surplusing bloated TIF districts that pull resources away from our schools and vital services. And the final uh, plan they're calling for here is equity in investment. They say this budget season, we have the sacred responsibility to lessen the human hardship and financial struggles of our most vulnerable residents as we reel from the impact of COVID-19. Budgets are about priorities and choices, strategic increased investments that stabilize our communities and prevent the serious long-term damage of situational poverty and institutional racism is not the responsible fiscal stimulation needed to keep our economy afloat. 
Yes, progressive uh, taxes. And I think my greatest disappointment with Lori Lightfoot is on this front. She's clearly not a progressive uh, when it comes to how do you figure out how to fund government. Uh, she is, didn't even take the opportunity in yesterday's speech, as I mentioned yesterday, uh, to give a full throttled support of the fair tax initiative. I don't even think she mentioned it. And she had that moment when she said, Springfield, you have to do your part, too. And that would have been a perfect moment to say we need a fair tax. But no. She didn't say that. And, um, you know, Lori Lightfoot uh, owes her career really to uh, North Lakefront voters and North Lakefront voters uh, tend to be uh, the wealthier constituency in the city of Chicago. I'm really curious how the North Lakefront is uh, going to vote on the fair tax. My guess is that uh, I've made this prediction that the 42nd Ward would have the highest percentage of opposition to the fair tax. That was my prediction. Uh, The 42nd Ward is the Gold Coast Ward. The second ward uh, and the 42nd ward are, are next to each other. There's so much gerrymandering that goes on. But those are two of the wealthiest wards uh, in Chicago, the 43rd ward in, in Lincoln Park and the 44th ward in Lakeview. I'll be really curious to see what the the uh, support level is for the fair tax. My guess is that opposition will be highest uh, in these wards. And uh, so Lori Lightfoot is cognizant that that's where her base is. That's where she uh, th- those are the voters who essentially put her in the runoff against Tony Preckwinkle back in 2019. And uh, so she has been hesitant to join the chorus for more progressive taxation. In fact, she, I remember her quote about, you can't just keep taxing them and taxing them and taxing me, meaning rich people. Uh, so Democrat, yes, she is a Democrat, but she's more one of those lakefront liberal type Democrats uh, who's liberal on social issues uh, like abortion rights and gay uh, rights, um, but not so liberal on uh, progressive matters. Like, if you're going to expand government to help the poorest of the poor, you need money. You're going to have to find ways to fund it. And uh, so it makes sense to tax people who can most afford to contribute taxation. But there's a lot of resistance, to put it mildly, as we've seen with the fair tax, from the well-to-do in the state uh, to increasing their taxes. And I don't think Lori Lightfoot wants to... Uh, she, she'd rather battle Stacey Davis-Gates and the Chicago Teachers Union. That's more fun than fighting Kenny G uh, and the wealthy people of Chicago. So, D, uh, Progressive Caucus, it's nice that you uh, champion issues... Uh, like progressive taxation uh, to raise the money that you realize you need to fund the programs that you want to support. Not sure your ally, you're going to find an ally in Lori Lightfoot on that front. All right. It looks like we have some breaking news here. Oh. <laughs> okay. Clean that up. Would you in the bottle there? Good God. And, and do you have flip flops on? Be careful <laughs> I, when you walk around. Um, I do not wear flip flops. I think they're disgusting. Uh, All right. Moving on here. Uh, the following comes from the Chicago Sun Times in Fran the Woe Man Spielman. Looks like Chicago is now enforcing some new mitigation rules here. Uh, the article reads Meeting friends at a bar in the city this weekend or to watch the Bears on Monday night? Bundle up. You'll be sitting outside. Chicago. <laughs> 
I'm sorry, but the way you did that was funny. Chicago <laughs> Chicago on Friday is reimposing restrictions on bars, restaurants, and non-essential businesses in an attempt to stem a tide of rising COVID-19 cases. Uh, the mayor just announced this today. Uh, bars are back to outdoor seating only. No drinking indoors. Restaurants must close at 10 p.m. Other non-essential businesses will be under a 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. curfew. Essential businesses can remain open that in uh, category includes groceries hardware stores pharmacies laundromats hospitals gas stations and banks uh, lightfoot disclosed the rollback she threatened just three days ago during a wide-ranging interview thursday with the chicago sun times so uh, oh yeah that that may be on the Franz spielman show i have a feeling wide that range. may be the Franz spielman show tomorrow at uh, both chicago sun time we'll add just the chicago sun times website I got a feeling, feeling deep inside. Whoa, yeah, Gene, Gene. Sorry, you're saying I got a feeling. Uh, any mention of Sam Toyer responding in that news thing? Sam, uh, Sammy Toyer have something to say? Mr. I got something to say about Pritzker. Did he say anything to say about uh, Lori Lightfoot? No, no, nothing in there at the moment. Huh, isn't that interesting? My point exactly. If you're going to stand up to tyranny... In downstate, you should stand up to it in Chicago. But like, we like Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Rumor has it uh, Pritzker and Lightfoot were kind of, you know, uh, back and forth this morning over this. And I guess this announcement just came. So they were back and forth. In yeah. other words, I don't Yeah, it says here WTTW reported earlier this morning officials scrambled to cope with a significant increase in the number of confirmed causes of the coronavirus. Governor Pritzker and Mayor Lightfoot were at odds over the role that bars and restaurants are playing in fueling the spread. So that was this morning. Now we have the mitigation, so Well, it sure sounds a lot like what uh, JB Pritzker's trying to do down throughout the state. So I'll be really curious to see if we see the same opposition uh, from the restaurant association, my sense is no, because the game, the game that's played, politically speaking, is you take one politician that you think is a little more vulnerable than the other, and uh, beating up on him is a little more popular with your constituents, and you go after that guy. If you have another politician who's really popular with your constituents, well, <laughs> look the other way. That's my guess. So I'm really glad you did that breaking story because. I don't see much difference between what Lori Lightfoot's uh, proposing for Chicago and what JB was talking about earlier in the show. So just say it, D. Just say. All right. I'll try to keep everybody posted on that as today's program rolls along. We have a little more time here. So let's do a 2020 Illinois general election candidate update. This is a 2020 Illinois general election candidate update. Update. All right. Today's update involves the hardest part on every political ballot in America. The judges. Who the hell are these people? (laughs) Which one do I choose? It really is the worst. Well, our friends of the conservative persuasion over at the Vote No on Kilbride campaign, they want to help out. Bless their hearts. Yeah, they they want to help out with maybe the scariest sounding Madigan is bad political ads I have ever heard. Mike Madigan and his favorite judge. Oh, my God. (laughs) 
Let's catch everyone up here. The Democratic Party of Illinois, led by Speaker Michael Madigan, has started to pour money into an effort to keep Illinois Supreme Court Justice Tom Kilbride on the bench with two weeks until Election Day. $550,000 into the November 3rd Kilbride retention campaign. The contest is critical for Democrats because a Kilbride loss could jeopardize the party's four to three majority on the state's high court. And now, with money from billionaire donors, Republicans are waging in uh, on an anti-Kilbride campaign in hopes of knocking him off the court and getting a chance to capture the open seat in the 2022 election. And uh, the ad we are about to play is from that campaign. Ben, how are we feeling about Kilbride here? Well, uh, this is... This is sort of like the Illinois version of Amy Coney uh, Barrett, you know, like fortify their power uh, on the bench. They're losing electorally throughout the state uh, in legislator races. They've lost the governor's uh, mansion. So, yeah, let's get the courts on our side. Uh, so this is a, strategically a very important race. Uh, for the Republican Party and the Democratic Party as well. Uh, but there's this this is why the Republicans are pouring so much money in and going to their go-to boogeyman. We've talked about this many times. Michael Joseph Madigan. A lot of money has been spent on making him to be seem so scary and frightening to Illinois voters. They're not going to waste the opportunity to put his head on Kilbride's shoulders. All right, let's hear the ad. Uh, listeners, if you have kids around, maybe take them away or cover their ears. This thing is frightening. Mike Madigan and his favorite judge, Supreme Court Justice Tom Kilbride, two of Illinois' most powerful politicians, protecting each other. Madigan's machine funnels millions to elect Tom Kilbride. On the court, Kilbride issues rulings benefiting Mike Madigan. Kilbride blocks term limits and casts the deciding vote to protect Madigan's control over state government. But now you can send a message to Madigan by voting out his favorite judge. Vote no on Justice Tom Kilbride. Holy cow. Yeah, I know it's scary. I'm so scared. Even I'm scared. I'm scared. D, I'm hiding under <laughs> Mike Madigan's favorite judge. I don't know. I would say that Mike Madigan likes Ann Burke more than he likes Cobra. I'm just saying. If you ask me, who which which judge does Mike Madigan like the best? I mean, Ann Burke is married to Ed Burke. Ed Burke, of course, is a uh well, he's not as powerful as he used to be, but he used to be the big man in Chicago. So I would say just, I don't know what, you know what, if I was a, what's the BGA, I'd go, falsehood there, favorite judge. I would say it's Ann Burke, just saying. But yeah, they're trying to scare you. And I think this is your retention. So in other words, uh, Kilbright uh, has to get 60% of the vote, affirmative vote of 60%. And uh, in order to be reelected, I don't, you know what, D, I can't, you know, you know, you're supposed to pretend like you know everything. You know, oh, yes, well, the Rock Island <laughs> County uh, judge, uh, the district is this, that. I don't know the district well enough uh, to make a, a go to one of my Vegas, go to Vegas prediction. Like I love to do. But uh, in general, it's hard to uh, defeat a judge on a, a retention vote, straight up retention vote, because most people aren't paying attention to, let's face it. Uh, so the, the the challenge for the Republicans is to get MAGA uh, so upset that they actually pay attention to uh, Kilbright. So my advice to Kilbright, if you want to stay in office, get Rob Bogoyevich to endorse you. Get Blago to endorse you. That MAGA will be like, huh, 
Blago likes Kilbride. We're for him. Sorry. Isn't that funny how that changes, T, in a heartbeat? God, I've always said that Madigan should endorse uh, Trump, and then Trump would endorse Madigan. Then what would the Republican Party do? Their number one go-to guy to scare uh, voters in Illinois was Blago. Now he's a Trumpocrat. Their number two guy that they went to, now the number one. So they went to number two. That would be Madigan, elevated him number one. If he endorsed Trump, what would they do? It would be Dr. D. Be scared. Be very scared. Uh. <laughs> Man, they're running out of guys. I guess go to Chris Welch, our good friend Chris Welch from the Western suburbs. Maybe they, I don't know. Nobody has. I mean, they spent a lot of money and a lot of time investing into uh, Madigan. Cullerton's not around, and they kind of liked him. He was the kind of Democrat that would cut deals with Republicans. So he's gone. This, oh, Harmon? Uh, Don Harmon just doesn't have. You know, the Oak Park liberal guy, Senate president, he doesn't have it, D. And Lori Lightfoot is, like I said, cozies up uh, to the well-to-do in the state. And, is, you know, she's not even, like, out there in front of the, for the fair tax. So she doesn't really work. I don't know what they're going to do. What? Oh, just Stacey Davis Gates. Stacey Davis Gates' favorite judge, 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 judge. That's who it's going to be, SDG. You look out. They're going to turn. If Madigan is no longer the number one target, number one tool that the Republicans use to scare MAGA into voting for whatever which way they want them to go, it's not just MAGA, too, D. It's like... All those like wishy-washy suburban voters, you know. Well, I really don't like Donald Trump's tweets, but on the other hand, Michael Madigan. I don't know. I'm just really concerned. So those voters, they could. Uh, I yep, SDG. That's my bet, D. They don't have Madigan. They go to SDG. Hey, did you say something about Rock Island earlier? Update yes. Rock Island. So we have Thursday night groove concert. <laughs> All right. Get your groove on with the class of 82 at Schreiber Park. Thursday night groove begins at 6 p.m. with the opening of food and beer sales. Featured will be Rock Island Parks and Recreation concession stand with the brats and hot dogs. Come out Ooh. and enjoy the fun. That's a damn good mayor Rock Island has. <laughs> I love the brats. By the way, D, what do you think? If they didn't mad again. Now, you know all the people we've brought on our show. You know, let's lefty land on the Ben Jarofsky show. We a lot of lefties come in here. So they, Blago is number one. Then Trump let him out of prison and they love each other. So I'm a Trumpocrat. The Trumpocrat, yes. that's right. So he's gone. So there's Michael Joseph Madigan. But he's 78. He could retire. Who knows? You know, he's getting, the feds are investigating him. Mean, he could be gone there. So who would, they, who would be their go-to person? to try to scare their voters uh, into voting against the Democrats. Who would, who would it be, D? I mean, J.B. Pritzker? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think J.B. Pritzker's scary. It's kind of like a... That's just, He doesn't... I don't think he works. I think STG works more. I, plus, he's got a lot of money to fight back. You know what I'm saying? You got, you got to pick on someone who doesn't really fight back. Madigan never fought back. Oh, great strategy that was. I'm just going to ignore them. Okay. <laughs> I don't know, M- MJM. I think you should reconsider that ignoring strategy. Anyway, I'm going with Stacey Davis-Gates. That's what. 
All right, everybody, that's the local news. Uh, we're going to take a break here. When we come back in these times, writer Miles Camp Lassen will make his return. Ben, what are you planning on discussing with uh, Miles? Uh, we're going to talk about the debate tonight. And uh, we'll take a pick apart that Sam Elliott uh, uh, commercial. And hey, maybe do a little Chicago 7 talk. A lot of, uh, lots of things going out uh, in the world um, that are sort of like crystal. Oh, we're definitely going to talk about Rudy Giuliani. Definitely got to talk about RG. He's up to no good. So, uh, yes, look forward to that. All right, everybody. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show. We're live from my apartment in his attic. Don't go anywhere. election, Chicago voters are casting a ballot on much more than the president of the United States. Some of the races we will be voting on include the Cook County State's attorney, over 60 judges, our water reclamation district commissioners, and changes to our taxes. With all these races, candidates, and issues, casting an informed ballot can seem like a challenge. But Chicago votes 
a nonpartisan organization, is here to provide you with information on the candidates and issues on the ballot. Their 2020 voter guide is available digitally at chicagovotes.com and chicagoreader.com. Pull it up on your laptop, take it with you into the voting booth on your phone, and feel confident in knowing who and what you are voting for. ChicagoVotes.com. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Miles Conflassen with me in these times, editor, writer, uh, Jacobin writer, all, all around leftist, rock star, Whitney Young grad, trying to think of other things, Do- knocking on doors in Iowa for Bernie Sanders. He was for Bernie before it was fashionable. Yes, that Miles Conflassen. Welcome back to the show, Miles. Thank you very much for having me, Ben. And I, I'll say, I mean, uh, just to start it off at the top of the show, I was, you know, hitting the doors for Bernie, like you said. Been making those uh, swing state calls lately. I've been doing, I've been doing a bunch of swing state calls, Michigan and Texas. Um, Talked to voters about dumping Trump and uh, fair tax. Been making wow. fair tax too because we gotta, you know, uh, tax the rich is a one one time opportunity. Who knows when it's going to come around again? So I think there's no excuse, even though folks like myself are a little let down uh, at the top of the ticket. Uh, you know, I was a big uh, Bernie. Fan, I was delegate for him at the Democratic National Convention. At this point, you know, we have a, a president who is uh, promising four years of pain for working people, and of course, uh, all kinds of horrible um, outcomes for his political enemies, of which I think you and I are <laughs> surely on that list. Um, or at least opponents, if not enemies. Uh, so I think it's uh, critical to to get out there uh, right now with less than two weeks before Election Day and uh, help to make sure we have a uh, different administration in the office uh, in the White House next year and that we can tax the rich here in Illinois. All right. Uh, and that's a good point to start. And I may have asked you this the last time on your show, but I'm going to ask you again, even if I did. Uh, just the notion, I did not know uh, that you were making phone calls on behalf of the election of Joe Biden, Kamala Harris. And uh, for Miles to be doing that, and Miles is, is as lefty as they come. He's cut from the same cloth uh, as I am. And uh, he's just a younger, much younger version. Uh, and so for you to be doing that, Miles, suggests... Uh, how do I put this? It's things are different than they were in 2016 because my recollection of 2016 is having arguments with so many of my lefty friends. I was trying to get, (laughs) Oh my God, I'm just laughing at the memory. I'm trying, I was trying to get them to vote for Hillary Clinton and I was really facing a lot of resistance. Um, My sense of it now is that the left is in a different place with this election. Do you agree with that? I think that that's, that's probably right. I mean, I think that the, um, the fact is that this is uh, the most important election of my life, certainly. And there's no doubt that um, there's the stakes couldn't be higher for any opportunity for 
uh, progressive change in this country. I mean, the, the, the major issue for people my age, I mean, I just turned 35. Uh, I, I'm at the older end of the millennial cohort, but anybody, you know, who's a younger person who has longer to live on this earth, most likely, and even or hopes to, you know, have a family, anything like that. The existential threat of climate change is, is getting more and more real every day. And one candidate says that it's a Chinese hoax and another candidate is not nearly far enough, but at least they are open to the idea of investing um, government and uh, advocating government policies to uh, stop the uh, extraction of fossil fuels on some level and to mitigate the release of carbon in the atmosphere. And that's going to be necessary for us to have a livable future on this planet. So that issue alone, I think, should uh, instigate people to get involved. But the other thing is, look, we're look what, look what we're doing. You're in your attic, you know, Dennis uh, uh, is the home. I'm here. There's a pandemic that has that the administration is completely just now they just say people are tired of it. So let's forget about it. This is the result of a failure of government. The one thing that government is supposed to do in like the reason we invented it as like, you know, a society is to have an organ of um, that, that we put some faith in to help control things like public health. And to give us uh, the, the the needed infrastructure in order to protect ourselves, and this government has failed at every level um, on, on that, and we're just seeing it more and more. Even when it comes to you know, you were talking earlier in the show about the lack of uh, stimulus relief for restaurants and bars. That's something that has uh, it's a complete failure of government, and I put that on the Trump administration. I mean, you know, Trump is flailing around saying him and Meadows or Mark Meadows are saying, "Oh, the Democrats won't take our bill." Well, the Democrats passed a bill back in May to uh, you know to, to do these things to fund restaurants, to give more PPP, to um, you know give twelve hundred dollars. That's already all passed by the Democrats. It's just the Republicans that are refusing to negotiate on it, and specifically, it's the lack of leadership at the top. So um, I think all of those things are in clear view for the left. We realize, you know, people who want to see a more progressive future realize the only chance of uh, getting there is to defeat this administration. And, and the other thing is, look at what could happen. I mean, not only is Joe Biden, could Joe Biden become, you know, the next president, Kamala Harris, the next vice president, but that if Democrats retake both houses of Congress, and this is how I'm getting involved too. I mean, I'm working to dump Trump, but I'm not doing it necessarily. I'm not making calls just through the Biden campaign. I'm doing it um, to voters in Michigan, talking to them also about the Senate race there, which is very important between um, uh, Gary Peters and um, Jones, who's his, uh, uh, John, uh, John James, who's his uh, opponent there, his, his Republican opponent there. We need to, you know, keep, make sure these down ballot races go towards um, Democrats as well. If we want to see something like having Bernie Sanders, the head of the, you know, health subcommittee in the Senate, for example, um, or on the budget, having him, you know, move up on the budget committee, that could change how, um, legislation is done in Washington in a really fundamental way if we can elevate some of these more progressive voices in uh, in Congress. So for me to get involved, I mean, if, uh, you're right, I've been, a, as any listeners you show would know, I have been uh, a very intense critic of uh, Joe Biden throughout the primary, but um, when it comes down to it, this is a this is a uh, real clear choice, and I'm you know as I think everybody should be very worried about what's going to happen. I mean, I'm making calls to Michigan, and 
it's, you know, Trump's support is very strong in that state, I will say. And a lot of internal polling is showing something very different from what the public polls show in terms of uh, who's, who's up there. So I think if you're, you know, if you're worried as I am about this election, uh, it behooves everybody to, uh, to get involved. You say that uh, internal polling is different than public polling. Help explain that, the difference between an internal poll and a public poll. Sure. So, I mean, uh, you know, NBC, Siena, New York Times, all these different groups put out polls. Um, those are different from campaign polls. So campaigns are doing their own, and anybody who's worked on a campaign knows this, they're probably hiring their own pollsters and doing their own um, internal polls, which they refer to much more than whatever the public ones are. We know, you know, it's not as if polls are necessarily the end all be all, like they're going to give us the, the final result. We saw that in 2016, you know, for the most part, there was uh, too much reliance on polling that showed Hillary Clinton in a better spot than uh, she turned out to be. Uh, but internal polling is usually done by campaigns, but it's also done by uh, groups that are, you know, organizations that work in politics and that, you know, advocacy groups. So there's some uh, groups that, you know, including ones I've worked with that have their own polling that shows something very different from what uh, a lot of the public polls. Uh, and I've heard of that is uh, the case in Wisconsin and other northern Midwest states, but certainly in Michigan, I think there's a big disconnect between um, the support that people and some of that, you know, what, what Trump is relying on is this idea of the silent Trump voter, right? That people aren't going to tell pollsters, certainly not from like the New York Times or whatever, that they're going to support Trump. But when it comes November 3rd, they're going to cast their ballot for him. And I think there's some truth to the fact that that happened in 2016. Um, and because of that, that's one of the reasons I think it's so important. And I've talked about this on this show before. It's important to even if you are, you know, living in a, a, a safe state, still go out and uh, vote because it's going to take a overwhelming uh, show of support to uh, overcome those type of um you know, factors such as people that are not giving their true intentions to the public pollsters. Hmm. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. In other words, uh, I don't know how, if a pollster comes a calling, uh, does the pollster say, yeah, I'm doing this for the New York Times. And if it says he's doing it for the New York Times, does that trigger a response on the part of the person uh, that he's polling? Or if they just say, I'm doing it for the Miles poll, I'm from the Miles poll, that not without identifying the New York. In other words, what you're saying is that if you identify the person uh, who's paying for the poll or the institution that's paying for the poll, uh, that has a bias effect. Uh, so if it's an internal Republican Party poll, and I'm saying I'm doing this for Donald Trump, they may get a, a different uh, percentage than the New York Times. I that, I hadn't thought about that. I don't I don't I don't know uh, enough about polling to uh, weigh in on that. But that's something I'm, I wrote down and put to the side. I know one thing's for certain. Uh, Donald Trump, uh, whether he's just doing it because he's insane or he's doing it because uh, he's following a strategy that his pollsters have laid out, has clearly dis has clearly decided uh, that he has no need to do follow the traditional rituals 
of uh, presidential candidates, and that's how to moderate his appeal in order to bring in people who aren't already in his camp. And he seems to be operating from the assumption which uh, that he has enough MAGA, hardcore MAGA supporters uh, in the um, in enough states to win an electoral college victory, even if he loses by five, six, seven percent of the vote uh, nationwide. Um, is that your sense of what his strategy is? I think his strategy was laid out pretty clearly in 2016, even before the, uh, the election, honestly. And that was it was put forward by his then um, senior political advisor, Steve Bannon, who's gone on to, you know, other <laughs> glorious uh, roles, such as now being uh, indicted over a uh, like money laundering scheme, essentially. But Steve Bannon is, uh, you know, the hardcore political strategist. He was basically Trump's Karl Rove um, in the in, in kind of, you know, operation. And his strategy that he put forward then was, um, if I can uh, swear on the show, uh, he said flood the zone with S word, you know, with, uh, with shit. So that uh, was, was put forward. And basically what that means is just a disinformation campaign, essentially to say, let's just confuse people. Um, Disinformation has been used many ways. We know both of us, you know, and, and most of your listeners know back in under the Bush administration, there was a disinformation campaign around the Iraq war, for example, but there was an internal logic to it that helped to produce a political outcome. This is based more on the concept of just chaos of, you know, try to confuse people and just, you know, swarm them with different messages to, put them in a position where they don't really know anymore and maybe they just give up. Maybe they don't show up to vote or maybe they just vote for Trump because they're like, oh, I heard this thing about Hunter Biden somewhere. You know, that's flooding the zone and that has been um, the strategy and it was actually developed really, it's been used throughout history, but it's developed really under Putin's Russia um, by this advisor named uh, Vladislav Surkov who was had a relationship with Bannon um, and he was a purveyor of this idea of like nonlinear warfare and managed democracy, essentially. And I think that is what the Trump campaign had this year as well has taken up. And you see it every day when you like look at what Trump is doing. It seems to not fit in the mold at all of what we've seen before with presidential candidates, whether Republican or Democrat. But I think he's, um, you know, entering the whole campaign with a very different uh, lens and a different goal. I mean, the goal is to get reelected, but it's also to um, suppress the vote, which we've you know seen across the board. It's to get another Supreme Court justice on there. So if and when the you know vote count comes down to the Supreme Court deciding it has happened in 2000, he'll have a conservative majority on there. And then also just give as much disinformation um as possible. It's, what, it's this idea that, um, who's Derrida, I think it was based off this idea of Freud about uh, kettle logic, which is like, you can just say, if somebody steals a kettle, you say, oh, the kettle wasn't there. The kettle actually wasn't, you know, uh, it was damaged or nobody stole it. Just give all these different reasons. And by the end of the conversation or uh, what have you, 
people are just confused. They no longer have a sense of where, you know, what even the issue was in the first place. And I think we saw that in the first debate. That was certainly Trump's strategy, just throw out the kitchen sink. Um, And I bet that that's what we're going to see again tonight. It's not, it certainly is not edifying or providing any kind of, you know, um, civic tools for our citizenry. Uh, I think it's actually anti-politics, if anything. But it was successful for him four years ago. So I think he's going to stick with it. All right. Uh, and uh, I'm going to ask Dennis to pull up the Sam Elliott ad because it's a, it's a perfect moment uh, to contrast what Trump's doing. And that was really well done, uh, Miles, uh, with what Trump's doing with this different disinformation campaign. And one of the tactics that Joe Biden is responding uh, and Joe Biden has responded with this uh, commercial. I told you about it. that We're going to play it. Uh, Miles, where Sam Elliott, uh, the veteran actor with the deep gravelly voice who plays cowboys. Uh, appeals to everybody to put aside their differences and concentrate on what they have in common, which is the exact opposite of what Donnie Trump is trying to do. Uh, and I would love to get your reaction to think uh, as to whether this is an effective response. So, D, are you ready to go? Let's hear Sam Elliott. There is only one America. No Democratic rivers. No Republican mountains. Just this great land and all that's possible on it with a fresh start. Cures we can find, futures we can shape, work to reward, dignity to protect. There is so much we can do if we choose to take on problems and not each other and choose a president who brings out our best. Joe Biden doesn't need everyone in this country to always agree. Just to agree, we all love this country and go from there. I'm Joe Biden and I approve this message. All right, that's Sam Elliott on behalf of Joe Biden. Uh, Miles, your thoughts. You know, there's a different uh, Trump, uh, or sorry, a Joe Biden ad that I that I heard the other day that had um, was much more focused on kind of how he's going to help working people, and uh, Trump is going to help the stock market and his billionaire friends. Essentially, had more of the kind of that class war message, this you know Scranton PA versus Wall Street uh, dichotomy that Biden has been using, I think, very effectively. Um, that uh, it, I think that's maybe hitting the, the head, uh, whereas this ad is focused on the heart, where you know you're just trying to motivate people through their sense of uh, you know civic pride or or patriotism. I mean, it's all about loving America. Uh, hard to say whether that that's going to be very effective. I mean, we all recognize uh, Sam Elliott's. A wonderful gravelly voice and it, I think it is partially reassuring uh, to many people and it's kind of a rehash of Obama's uh, first campaign in 2008 all about you know there's no red America or blue America uh, I think hitting on those themes was successful at that time and I think it speaks to what Biden's whole approach has been about unity and bipartisanship and getting over all of the rancor of our political time um, I certainly think that that's most Americans are probably probably want that, you know, or at least want a version of that where there's 
you know, more cohesion and more cooperation in government, I'm not at all convinced that that will result from uh, Joe Biden presidency as much as he has said that, you know, the scales will fall from the eyes of uh, my Republican colleagues once Trump is gone. I don't think we really saw much, you know, cooperation and bipartisanship under Obama. So I'm, I don't have high faith that that's going to happen. But that has been the message that they've chosen. That's why they had, you know, John Kasich and Meg Whitman, Republicans, uh, speak at the Democratic Convention for Biden because they want to present this idea of, uh, and Cindy McCain, you know, is now a, a, a Joe Biden uh, supporter I and mean, kind of campaign person. So we're, we're seeing more and more of them, you know, it hasn't been usually what we see in a general election, as you said, is moderation of some sort, at least on the Democratic side, uh, that we haven't seen Biden change his policies that much, or at least what he's putting forward. But we have seen him um, it, call upon this idea of bipartisanship and a bipartisan future and his Republican supporters to help uh, pull people over, uh, people that might otherwise support Trump or you know, even a libertarian candidate that's, we know from last, you know, 20 in 2016, Gary Johnson got a huge chunk of the vote, uh, the anti-Trump vote, uh, that didn't go to Clinton. So I think this is probably smart and strategic on, uh, on Biden's part. I don't think I'm the prime audience for it necessarily. Although, as I said, I do always love to hear that gravelly voice. of hmm. Well, well I did it. We're doing a good version of it before too. I don't know if D was doing one. I don't know. I heard you, I heard you. Do no, it. I was doing my, uh, Miles Camp Lassen went to Whitney Young and he played in a rock band. You got uh, to get low on the register and also, yeah, just kind of tease out the words, you know, let yeah. them look like molasses kind of. Yeah, you're right. Um, by the way, I urge everybody, there was a movie called Grandma with uh, uh, Lily Tomlin and Sam Elliott was in it too. That's a great flick. If you want a good Sam Elliott movie, uh, although it's really a Lily Tomlin movie. Anyway, uh, when I when I listened to this this ad, it brought back memories of, of the Chicago 7 movie, uh, the trial of the Chicago 7 movie, which I just watched on Netflix last Friday. I've been talking about it a lot. I wrote about it in The Reader. And uh, it's the same theme in Chicago 7 movie, Aaron Sorkin trying to present. The Chicago 7 movie is essentially a, a Biden commercial without mentioning Biden, without mentioning Trump. Uh, it's appealing to the same sentiments that um, this Sam Elliott ad appeals to, which is uh, we may not agree on everything except that we love our country. And there's this culminating scene uh, in a Chicago 7 conspiracy trial movie which is completely fictitious this culminating scene apps it's just almost offensively uh fictitious i like the theme of it but the fact that they created it made it up i find offensive uh where the uh, anti-war radicals like gabby hoffman and rennie davis and tom hayden etc uh, rise to pay tribute to soldiers who died in Vietnam, U.S. soldiers, not Vietnamese soldiers, uh, and while a prosecutor rises with them to show his solidarity and they're paying respect to the fallen. And uh, that's the theme that uh, Aaron Sorkin wanted to present, like there's, we're all one country. 
let's put aside our differences and just concentrate on what what we have in common, which is a deep and abiding respect for people who've dead, uh, sacrificed their lives to war. And I'm just watching this. So many things flood my mind when I'm watching it, Miles, one of which is Donald Trump calling the war dead losers and suckers. Donald Trump, who uh, stayed out of the Vietnam War and bragged about it, you know, said the greatest threat he faced uh, was getting venereal disease from all his sexual escapades uh, in the 60s. And so I, I sometimes wonder, uh, Miles, if there's still a market, I guess that's the word, for this America is a united theme anymore. You know what I'm saying? Or are we just too divided? Because the reaction to Sam Elliott's commercial uh, was divided. Like MAGA hated it, you know, and and like uh, it was like Dana Loesch wrote this tweet, uh, Miles, where she said, why doesn't Sam Elliott tell the story of Hunter? <laughs> his crack addled son. Oh, God, crack addled us. God dang. So uh, I don't know. What's your thoughts about all this? Hey, I just for the record, I'd take Hunter Biden as a you know, first son over Don Jr. or Eric any day. Any for, day, you know, yeah. And this is—it's become uh, you know uh, Don Jr.'s big bet noir is Hunter. He's making his whole you know his whole role in the campaign is to just kind of be the attack dog on Hunter stuff. And I gotta say, if I saw though even in a debate, but let alone like a fight, I could only imagine who. Would would go down and uh, in that it would it, it probably wouldn't be hunter hunter seems like you know he's got issues and problems clearly but yeah. uh, uh as you, you know a, a person that would be in that role of being the first son he would be far less destructive than uh, than than don jr or eric i think that you know I've, i haven't um watched the chicago 7 movie yet although after uh, talking with you earlier i think i probably will uh, check it out. I actually have a, a, a quick trivia question. If you, uh, Uh Oh, okay, here we go. So we all know so Tom Hayden famously, uh, uh, you know, part of the, uh, Chicago seven and, uh, featured in the film was married, I think at the time, or maybe later to Jane Fonda. Correct. Um, mm-hmm. but who did Jane Fonda then marry after Tom Hayden? Oh, Ted Turner. Ted Turner, of course, from CNN. And, and then, and yeah. what I didn't realize is that not only did she marry uh, Ted Turner, the head of CNN, but she was interested in him because he was a yacht racing champion at the time. And she was really into boats and, 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 and yachting, I guess. So I, I to, didn't, to quote Johnny Carson, I did not know that. Uh, <laughs> did not know the boating thing. Of that. I didn't know where you were going with it. I thought it was going to be a hard trivia question, like, name the Chicago 8, all eight of them. And I'd be like, Am I? that's where I thought you were going. I'm like, oh, my God, can I do it? Can I name all eight of them? Dennis made me do this just, just about – uh, 45 minutes ago, Miles, he made me name the 14 members of the Chicago Progressive Caucus while the clock was ticking. You tried doing that, uh, and suddenly he can't remember. <laughs> like, I know this name. I see the face. When you're put on the spot, it's always it's always a little tougher. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, personally for my politics, I think when I was younger, um, like many angry political youth, uh, including those on the left. Um, I thought we've got to tear down America. You know, we've got to like this country is soaked in blood and everything. And none of my criticisms of American imperialism or our history have, uh, have changed or eased or anything. But I do think that the promise of America is a different place, a different role in the political imagination in this country. And that that's uh, an important 
uh, well to pull from, um, especially when you're making an appeal towards people from, you know, different disparate political, um, you know, parts of the spectrum. And I also think that most people aren't, you know, dyed in the wool ideological. They don't necessarily have the politics that are, you know, they weren't raised as conservatives or red diaper babies or anything. They're, you know, they're coming to questions about what's going to be best for them, what seems the most fair, what, how is, what's going to protect their family, these kind of things that when you when you talk about America as an idea, it's very different from talking it as like a geopolitical entity or something. And as an idea, this sense of like a city on a hill where we, you know, are a multicultural democracy and we, you know, pr- pr- pride ourselves on freedom and liberty. Uh, these are all positive things that I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, with progressives or, you know, Democrats, whatever, uh, pulling from and uh, instilling in their ads or how they portray themselves. Because Michael Harrington, a famous Democratic socialist who wrote The Other America and, you know, worked with the Carter administration and everything, he famously said that, you know, if you want to lose all of the support you'll ever get just start, you know, talking trash about America as a leftist, because mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's the surefire way to kind of alienate people, and, um, turn people off to your political project. So in that way, I think that there's, there's nothing on its face wrong about um, trying to project this idea of America as a, a, a positive thing that, you know, relates to your politics. The idea, the, the, the um, what you have to do though, then is tie that into ideas of, you know, redistribution of, of universal universality of, you know, providing people uh, some type of a safety net and tying that in, because those are the things I think we need to do as a country, and then tying that into the history of this idea of yeah, freedom and independence. Well, it'd be interesting. I wonder if uh, Bernie Sanders had been the candidate uh, and he was in this battle with Donald Trump, would he have responded with the Sam Elliott commercial talking about one America? I I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I've never seen Bernie go down that road, uh, make those kinds of appeals. Can the is it capable for the left to make those uh, kind of appeals? I don't know. And I hear that. And I think you might be right. But if you remember back in 2016, the most famous um, ad that Bernie put on TV was a Ted Levine produced ad called America. Mm-hmm. Um, and he ran it in Iowa ahead of the Iowa caucus, uh, there back four years ago. And it was an incredible ad I thought, and it used the famous Simon and Garfunkel song, uh, America and, uh, had all these images of like farmers and families and everything. So I don't think, I mean, I think in that way there's, there's, there's no real disconnect between yeah politics and using this idea of America as a unifying theme. Yeah. By the way, I just have to say, I remember that commercial. I love the song. I'm a, now I'm a baby boomer. So I was listening to Simon Garfunkel real time and I have to smile. I remember like Simon Garfunkel, that song was satirical. I don't know if you ever listened to it or like read the lyrics without listening to this. That song is satirical. And, uh, you know, it's, it's essentially saying like, there's, there's, he's lost. There isn't, he's trying to find something real, but he's lost and he doesn't know where he's going. Uh, but the music is got, it's uh, got that beautiful melody and it worked well to what Bernie wanted to do with it. It's similar to like uh, Bruce Springsteen song, um, born in the USA, which, uh, 
if you listen to the really concentrate on the lyrics, you see that he's making a protest song, uh, essentially about what American policy has been and how it uses Americans. And but it's been, I think Trump's playing it. Uh, you know what I'm saying? It's been like it's just like born in the USA. It's got that solid refrain. And that's what just people hear. So these artists come up with these. <laughs> These, these great ideas, satire, and, what, and, the, and the politicians just take it uh, and just use it for what they want. All right. So we talk about America on the Hill and, the, and Joe Biden trying to appeal uh, to the good in us. What do you expect uh, young Donald Trump, excuse me, old man Donald Trump will do tonight at the debate? I can't see him looking for uh, a unity uh, theme. What do you, what do you think he's going to do uh, at tonight's debate, Miles? I think he's probably going to um, run against, as he did last week, and as we saw him do today with Leslie Stahl, uh, after the 60 Minutes interview, he leaked it, you know, and has been just going on about how unfair she was. He'll attack the media. That's just what he has done this entire campaign. And it's this, it fits into this uh, strategy of disinformation. If you just say everything's fake news and everything you're hearing is uh, biased and a lie and a you know, being put forward by uh, Democrats and globalists that want to, you know, take your family away or something like, oh, you know, the QAnon world is uh, is intimating, then you can, you know, you don't have to actually present any kind of political platform. It's all stunts. I bet we'll see some kind of stunt, honestly. And, and that's what he did. He saw, like, he released this um, um, image, a few images of Kylie McKenney, the his press secretary, when Leslie Stahl from 60 Minutes was at the White House doing the interview, and they presented her with their plan, their 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 healthcare plan, and it was just this massive like thousand page book that they didn't actually let her look through. It was just one of these things, and it's it, it was like I'm going to throw back to 2016. If you remember, before the campaign, he wouldn't release his tax returns, but he did this conference with a with a pile like a table with just piles of paper like you know thousands of pages <laughs> yeah. and then report and, and he said these are my tax returns and the reporters afterwards asked if they could look through it and they said no 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 you can't actually look at the at the at the, at the pages themselves oh, sorry. there you go hello <laughs> it's phyllis stop calling phyllis sorry that's an inside joke. Go ahead. Well, I think we'll see. I think we'll see more stunts. I think that that's. I mean, it's like Trump stakes, you know, or Trump University or whatever. This is what he's really good at is just being the kind of like salesman dude. The thing is, I think he was really angry and clearly uh, probably had COVID during the last uh, uh, debate, and so he was, you know, just constantly yammering on. He'll probably, I think, ha he, he as they've said, he hasn't done any debate prep for this one. So I think he's just going to go in ready to go. What, what they did last time is they had, uh, when he was debating Hillary Clinton, they did things like bring in um, Bill Clinton's accusers during the mm -hmm. debate to kind of throw off and make that kind of, and as we've talked about, it's kind of like wrestling stuff. It's just all this kayfabe, like pretending that you're, would it, making everything seem a little bit less real to let the audience kind of in on the joke um, so that they feel like they get it or something. And I think that's been the one running theme of the MAGA world is this uh, sense of ambiguity around the irony versus the sincerity of what Trump is doing, because he can always say, oh, that was a joke. You didn't get it. Um, but to his supporters, it's kind of a wink and a nod saying, oh, actually, you get it. You know, you get what I'm actually saying. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that. And yeah, I definitely 
Yeah, um, it falls apart when he when he uh, <laughs> in the last debate where he goes, his bleach remark was a joke. Uh, <laughs> I think he was dead serious. The bleach remark. By the way, uh, you raised that point about wrestling, and we've said this on the show many times. It's a constant theme. If you want to understand Donald Trump, you have to understand professional wrestling. He learned all the tricks of the trade from Vince McMahon and the World Wrestling, uh, and. When the Leslie Stahl thing was just classic wrestling move, it's just just imagine a pre-fight uh, press conference where one fighter you know walks out on the other fighter, or they pretend they're going to have a fight. I've seen that in boxing actually, uh, where Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier like pretend like they're going to start fighting. Actually, it looked kind of real because like, Joe Frazier really think hated Muhammad Ali at some points. But uh, to me, that was when Trump pulled on Leslie Stahl where he walked. That was just pure wrestling and um, like an Andy Kaufman sketch or something, you know, it's like, this is, you can tell there's an art level of artifice over the whole thing, even though unfortunately it is, you know, it's, this is the highest levels of our government in which it's, it's happening, but it's all a play, you know, that, that he's kind of performing and cause it, he comes from television, you know, and he wants, he wants that to, to be shaping the narrative at all times. But I think that that's, he's definitely going to try to make sure he's in the driver's seat throughout the whole thing. And the way he did that last time was just by talking over Chris Wallace. He's been um, sending out so many harassing tweets uh, in the past few days about the moderator of tonight's debate. I think we're going to see him just going after her as much as, as much as he goes after um, Joe Biden. But I bet we're going to hear a whole lot about, Hunter Biden, an issue that nobody knew or cared about at all, you know, a week or two ago, or probably still doesn't really care about, but has become the crux of kind of the Trump reelection campaign, if there is any actual content to their strategy. I don't believe, I, I, I kind of agree with what you said at the outset, whereas uh, people have made up their minds yeah, and uh, they may not reveal who they're going to vote for. Uh, so if uh, if Donald Trump is victorious, it'll be because his strategy of suppressing the vote, uh, making it more difficult uh, for black Americans to vote, which is essentially what it's targeted at uh, in key swing states uh, is effective. So if you notice, he, he goes after Philadelphia, you know, because that's a key uh that's the key to Biden's success in Pennsylvania. So if you can make it difficult for black voters to vote in Philadelphia, that suppresses that vote and he gets MAGA all fired up and they come out and he, there's no one suppressing that vote. Uh, that's his, and he, that's his key. So if he can win in Pennsylvania, eke it out, Michigan, Wisconsin, he's going to try to repeat what he did in 2016. I, I think that's a strategy. And so, yeah, tonight, Double down, baby. Go. You know what I mean? You're right. Whatever stunt uh, he can pull uh, to fire up MAGA, get him uh, all excited. That's what he's going to pull. Part of me just don't, I don't, still don't understand why Joe Biden is going to do But see, why Joe Biden would set himself up, Miles, for this, you know, to play the role? I said this all along. And then uh, my friends of the Joe Biden persuasion, come on, no, Ben, you have to understand he needs to make an appeal to the American voters that the last time they did the debate, uh, he did well with the polls. So you got to continue doing this. I don't know. I, I don't know why anybody would want to play in a unless you're just going to go for it. But unless you're just going to, you know, be like Trump and get into it. <laughs> 
Um, I don't understand why he's why he's even doing the debate. Well, if, anything, if anything, I think that this is, and I'm, you know, nobody's taking my advice on this, but I, I think that if anything, this is an opportunity to really litigate the Trump era and or at least the first Trump term. And I thought Kamala Harris did a fairly good job of, do, uh, of doing that around specifically the issue of coronavirus. Um, and the government's abject failure to respond to that during the vice presidential debate. Um, I think Biden kind of started to try to do that during the last debate, but then it just turned into a food fight and nobody understood what the hell was going on. So if there ever was an opportunity to really drive home how much this uh, administration has uh, tried to stick a knife, you know, through the back of working people across this country and just cared the least of any administration in my lifetime about the well-being of uh, people who aren't rich. Uh, tonight is the opportunity for Joe Biden to do that, especially since they apparently are going to have these two minutes uninterrupted, you know, where they're going to stop them from doing the kind of back and forth that um, reigned over the last debate. So if anything, that's uh, the that I think is what is the rationale for doing this debate is to get Joe Biden in a position where he can really make as stark as possible the uh, the what he's offering versus what the a Trump administration has done over the past four years. But we'll see what happens. I mean, it's it was it's very difficult uh, to imagine Biden successfully pulling off uh, that under the uh, while he's being hammered by. Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, it's not uh, Biden's strength. And by the way, Trump will probably be talking, even if his mic is muted. So uh, I'll be watching Borat. I already made this declaration. I got to watch Borat. I have to prepare for uh, tomorrow's show with Sergio Mims. I've already done my homework and seen Chicago 7, so I'm going to watch Borat. I'm really looking forward to the Rudy Giuliani bit in Borat, make my own decision of what Rudy was up to, and uh, putting his hands in his pants. You know, was he just, what did he say, straighten his tie or tucking his shirt in? That's what he said he was doing. So I'm going to make, let America judge. Go ahead, Miles. There's something going on with the hands of these Republicans. I just want to point this out. If you look at any recent photos of Rudy Giuliani. Look at the color of his hands versus the color of his face. There's just something not right. And the other day, uh, a photo came out of Mitch McConnell where he looks like, like I know gangrene's a thing on your feet, but he looks like he's, or maybe leprosy. His hands are just covered and they're like black and covered in wounds. There's something going on there that looks really unsettling in the, in the Republican caucus in the Trump world. And I can't help think it's somewhat related to the flop on Mike Pence's head. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's all tied together. This yeah. would be a lefty QAnon theory. All right, Miles, I want, to, I want you to stay safe and sound and uh, dutifully watch that debate and write it up uh, in these times. Any in these times articles you want to talk about before we let you go? Yeah, there's um, a really good article that my colleague Sarah Lazar um, wrote that's up on our website right now about um, kind of the bipartisan push, really, led by Republicans, but also backed by Democrats to kind of turn up the pressure on China and create this real kind of anti-China 
sentiment in the U.S. and that, that being used as an excuse to build up uh, the funding for the defense department and the military. And I think that's going to be a big challenge whether Trump or Biden wins the White House uh, is, is how we deal with our military and our military budget. Um, and much like the pushes to defund the police at the local level that have been uh, you know, carried out in Chicago and across the country, there's a similar push to you know reallocate some of the funding from the military to other uh, services and public programs and things. Uh, that hasn't gotten tons of attention um, since we're, you know, there's so many battles going on right now, but I think uh, regardless of who wins, that's going to be uh, something that is going to need to be dealt with because we're, you know, on a kind of, we're getting onto a war posture, war footing, and uh, Americans don't want us to, you know, get involved in another long drawn out conflict, whether that's, you know, with conventional warfare or not. I think it's, it's something we should all be paying attention to. So yeah, definitely check out that article um, by Sarah Lazar on the uh, inthesetimes.com. Uh, and yeah, I want you, uh, both of you to uh, stay safe as well. I'm definitely going to check out Chicago 7, you told me a few things about uh, its historical accuracies and inaccuracies, but I'll be keeping a watchful eye on how Aaron Sorkin has decided to um, portray the, the history of our fair city here. Yeah. Oh, that's, by the way, that's a whole other thing. Chicago is irrelevant in the movie, which don't get me started on Chicago 7. I just like the tip of the iceberg. But uh, I urge everybody, there's a, um, no. The response that Mayor Daley did, Richard J. Daley had to the protesters was so quintessentially Chicago. It was so quintessentially boss. It was so quintessentially, I run this city. This is my city. This is the Chicago mentality. This, this is what people in Chicago look for when they're mayors. Uh, and so he was antagonized by these hippie yippies. Uh, and he just completely overplayed his hand. And... Um, and then they doubled down by the, the Nixon administration, doubled down by indicting them. It's like, why just let it go? You got elected president. Nope, can't let it go. Uh, so, yeah, it's quintessentially Chicagoan, but that's not even part of the movie. It, it, I mean, it, it, could, it could have been the Philadelphia 8 trial. You know what I mean? Uh, Sorkin had something in mind, and essentially it was to make a campaign commercial uh, for Joe Biden. But you know what? You watch the movie, you may have a different reaction. You may come back and go, Ben, I was really moved by it. I thought it was fantastic. It's the greatest movie ever, and you're wrong. You may say that. I doubt it, but you may say that. I just I just don't believe, and this is what I put in the reader, Miles, in this day and age, we can afford uh, the left, liberals, whatever, to rewrite history. Yeah. I feel like you have to be as truthful as you can and as honest as you can, even if you're making fun of everybody like I tend to do. You, you can't just make stuff up anymore because, as you pointed out, you were talking about the kettle logic, gaslighting. I mean, so if it's Trump doing it or if it's Aaron Sorkin doing it, it still is the same misinformation. It's basic. It's being used for different purposes. I could say Aaron Sorkin's misinformation is being used for a pur purpose, a healing purpose. I can make that argument, but it's still misinformation, Miles. So I, well, there's, there's, a, there's a Fred Hampton movie coming out um, soon uh, that uh, I'm hopeful will be a little bit more uh, uh, truthful. Well, we'll see about that one. Uh, don't get me started on they can't find a, sh uh, a Chicago actor to play Fred Hampton. Don't get me started on. Don't get me started. All right, Miles, stay safe and sound. We'll talk to you real soon. All right. Thank you.
Gobert, Gobert's on Monday night, huh? Wow, Gobert. Even, yeah. even though we can't, even though we can't watch it in a bar, apparently, because no. now they're now they're closing at ten. Not that I would have done that anyway. Yeah, a bar outside. You could sit outside the bar and watch it on your. Hopefully, hey, hopefully it'll be unseasonably warm, and maybe I can like scream it in my backyard or something. Let's hope. Uh, all right, let's hope the Bears are victorious. They're five zero right right now. That would make them six and one. All right, Miles, take care. Miles Conflasson from In These Times. Do you got any updates uh, for us before we head out that door? Absolutely, I do. Go Bears <laughs> and <laughs> go Dolphins. Yes, as everybody knows, uh, Miles Conflasson, proud graduate of Whitney Young. Whitney Young Dolphins. Gotta check the volume on my phone next time I uh, play a sound effect from my phone. I guess. That's all good. Uh, All right. So we have one update here. It does involve the 2020 Illinois general election. And no, it's not another frightening ass. Madigan is bad at. Mike Madigan and his favorite judge, Supreme Court Justice Tom Kilbride. Good Lord. Oh, no. His favorite judge. I don't know. I stand by the and is inaccurate. It's not his favorite judge. Okay. And Burke's his favorite judge. Get it right, right wing. The, the noise is what nightmares are made of. Mike Madden, his favorite judge, Supreme Court huh? Justice Tom Kilbride. Uh, be scared. Be very scared. Well, that one works. It's time for a 2020 Illinois general election candidate update. This is a 2020 Illinois general election candidate update. Date, date, date. Love the date, man. Oh, hey. All right. <laughs> Go, Dolphin. Get that dolphin back in the bathtub. All right. <laughs> we have an update on the 14th congressional district race between Ooh. incumbent Democrat Lauren Underwood and her Republican challenger, the ice cream man, Jim Overweiss. The news. The challenger just got a huge endorsement. Honestly, probably the biggest one a Republican candidate can get. I'm not a doctor. Yes. <laughs> Oberweiss just got an endorsement from President Donald Trump. Mm. Okay, so we know how the president feels about our Illinois governor. Tell you what, Illinois could use a new governor. Oh, very rude. <laughs> but let's read this tweet endorsement from Trump and see what he has to say about Jim Oberweiss. I have uh, Donald Trump's Twitter page here on my computer. Just let me pull it up here on the window. All right. Oh, 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 my. There we go. <laughs> more like it. That is more like it. My goodness. Hey, hey Dolphin, get out of here. Okay, this is from Donald Trump's Twitter page. Jim Oberweiss will be a terrific congressman for Illinois, a successful businessman. He will create jobs, lower taxes, defend law and order, and protect your Second Amendment from the radical left. (laughs) Jim has my complete and total endorsement. Uh, That's interesting. You know, does Donald Trump's endorsement... uh, does it will that carry things in the uh, 14th congressional? Donnie, I think, believe won the 14th last time around. D. so, uh, but it was close. And uh, Lauren Underwood won in 2018, running away from Donald Trump and uh, on a talking about health care. So, I'm gonna go on a limb here, D. I'm gonna say it's not gonna help him, it's not gonna help Oberweiss, and Lauren Underwood will win. 
I, I just don't think MAGA is as strong in the 14th as it is, let's say, downstate or in the 16th, uh, where Adam Kinzinger is up against Danny B. So that's my prediction, young man. MAGA, I don't think MAGA is going to be the decisive factor in that congressional election. And regardless if it is or not, be on the lookout for another ad from Jim Oberweiss that'll probably sound something like this. Mike Madigan and his favorite judge, Supreme Court Justice Tom Kilbride. (laughs) All right. Very good. Thank you very much, Dr. D. I want to thank Miles Conflossen, the pride and joy of in these times. Uh, he did an outstanding job, as he always does. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of all in Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. As Miles will tell you, as Donald Trump will tell you, back home and only, call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everyone. I'm not a doctor.